Welcome to the Transcend Human Podcast. My name is Daryl McMullen, and this is a show dedicated to understanding the human condition, how it impacts us, and how we can rise above it. We are a community that values truth, transparency, growth, and love on the road to living lives that serve a higher purpose. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the show. It is Monday, January 25th. Great to be with you. Um, We skipped a week, didn't we? Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about that in our minute of transparency, but I want to thank you for showing up today, for being with us, and it is just great to be back and ready for another episode. Um, So, minute of transparency. I'm going to title this one, What Level of Chaos Are You Okay With? Um, yeah, so we were gone last week. Uh, my family and I traveled to New York City. Yes, I know, right in the middle of a pandemic. Shoot me now. Um, however, the college my daughter attends finally determined that it was safe for her program, her musical theater program, to reopen for in-person learning. So she was, you know, she was still doing classes virtually uh, first semester. Um, but, you know, your first semester in college, do you really want to be sitting at home on your bed on Zoom calls? I don't think so. Uh, You know, so when they allowed students to return to campus, we just moved as quickly as possible in order to get her there. Of course, there were many hoops to jump through, right? COVID tests 72 hours prior to leaving, uh, rapid COVID tests the day of the move-in, three days of quarantine, masks all the time. Uh, Only one person was really allowed to help her move in. And only for a short window at that. Uh, and then really no visitors even. You know, once you had moved in, you weren't supposed to have anyone come and visit you or your room or anything like that. So my wife, bless her heart, did the the bulk of the research on, on all of this stuff, right? The schedule, the timeline, uh, how to get COVID tests, where to get COVID tests, um, you know, whether or not the results were going to show up in time all of that stuff. Um, And then she and my two daughters stood outside in freezing temperatures for over two hours uh, just to get the rapid test um, the day after our quarantine, the day before, or actually the day of moving in to the dormitory. So now you'll notice I've talked a lot about COVID, but I haven't even talked yet about being in New York City. You would think being in New York would be the chaotic part, right? learning how to navigate one of the largest cities in the world, figuring out the complex subway system, dealing with parking, on all of that fun stuff. But no, no, no. All of that took a backseat to the chaos that the coronavirus has brought into our lives. Uh, you know, the added layer of rules and regulations and safety precautions and and all of those things that that make an already challenging life that much more challenging. But let's put COVID aside for a minute. I mean, it isn't going anywhere, right? It, it's gonna—it's not gonna get lost. It's—it's it's gonna be here for a while. Instead, let's talk about the chaos based on your environment, your location, or where you choose to live. I think this will probably become a full episode at some point, but I just want to touch on it here for a few minutes. So back to the original question: What level of chaos are you okay with? Uh, as I thought about this in New York City. I came to the conclusion uh, that it's really a question based on the following two things. First, your personality. 
So is your personality conducive to chaos? Or does it require a more ordered and regimented environment? And number two, your belief system, right? Do your beliefs play into it in any way, shape, or form? So regardless of what personality you have, if you can handle it or not, do you think that increasing the chaos in your life is good from a belief standpoint based on your core values or, or what you believe you are on earth for? Basically, does chaos help or hurt you on that journey? So what is this chaos thing I'm talking about? Well, while my family was in New York City, we had this conversation or debate, whatever you want to call it. And here's how I was kind of explaining it to them. Chaos is a growing level of disorder that causes your mind to lose focus on what you know to be important so that it can focus on the chaos itself. I'll say that one more time. Chaos is a growing level of disorder that causes your mind to lose focus on what you know to be important so it can focus on the chaos itself. So here's, you know, two glaringly different examples, right? Uh, here's an environment where chaos is very low. Maybe this would be living on a tropical island or living in the country, living in a mountain community where life moves at a slower pace. There aren't very many people. There isn't a lot of, um, you know, stuff going on. There's, a, there's really a lot of time in your day that you can fill with the things that are really important to you. Then the opposite where, you know, chaos is at a very high level. So large metropolitan cities like obviously New York City, Chicago, LA, et cetera, et cetera. Super fast paced, lots of people, lots of movement, constantly using your stimulus response process to navigate things coming at you. So having to think basically three to four moves ahead at, of, of each thing that you do in order to stay on time or to be in the right place, to be in the right location, to catch the right subway, you know, whatever the case may be, there's just a lot going on. And so much of your time is spent on these activities, which means there's less time to think, less time to process things that may be important to you. Now, to be fair, this is stereotyping a bit, right? I'm, I'm making it out to be a wonderful world on a tropical island and horrible in a big city, which isn't true at all. I know people who feel right at home in downtown New York City, and I know people who would die if they had to spend more than a week in a, on a tropical island. And this, of course, is due largely to the first one we talked about, which is personalities, right? To each his own, different strokes for different folks. Obviously, we know this is true because we understand differences like the following, right? There are introverts and extroverts. There are people who are fast-paced and people who are slow-paced. Uh, there are thinkers versus experiencers, people who like quiet versus people who like to be in the middle of constant activity. It's who we are as humans, right? It's this diversity that makes us who we are. But the other piece is intriguing to me, the belief part. So my question is this, do you think your beliefs play a role in deciding what level of chaos is good for you. Now, the obvious question here relates to, you know, the fast-paced city living, right? Do you believe that even if your personality supports it, that living in an environment with a high level of chaos might not be the best thing for you? But to be fair, I could ask the same question of the opposite. Do you believe, even if your personality supports it, that living too far off the grid with too little chaos might not be the best thing for you either? So this is the question I was wrestling with during our trip to New York City, right? Because it forced me to be in this whole new environment, much different than the one that I'm living in, even though I'm living in Orange County, California, which you would consider pretty fast paced. You know, it, 
it is much more ordered and regimented here than in New York City. And I don't know that I've come to any definitive conclusion based on my experiences. I know for me the following is true. As far as my personality, I love living a simple, quiet, peaceful life, close to nature, uh, being in nature on a regular basis, and having lots of time in order to think and create. In terms of my beliefs, it's very similar to my personality in that I believe that what's best for me is not to get caught up in a chaotic lifestyle. For me, city living would probably be too distracting. However, important caveat here, I have to guard against going too far in the opposite direction. My tendency is to be an introvert, to stay away from people, and to live in my head too much of the time. Because of this, I have to push myself out of there and be part of the chaos for my own good and for the good of those around me. I believe this is why God brought my wife and I together. We're polar opposites, and that means that we balance each other out. Uh, her drive for adventure, experiences, and socialization is really one of the major things that keeps me from fading away into the shadows. So how does chaos impact you? And have you thought about it in these terms? What does your personality lean toward? And what do you think your beliefs are telling you to do? Okay, good stuff. Uh, but let's jump into the topic for this week, um, which is transcending doomsday scenarios. This is one of my favorite topics, and uh, I think I've really been waiting a long time to do this episode, so this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, we're going to walk through five things today. Um, number one is doomsday question mark. Number two, Hollywood's on board. Three, the internal story arc. Four, smoke and mirrors. And five, seeing the forest for the trees. Number one, doomsday question mark. So what is doomsday anyways, right? What are we really referring to here? Well, I picked the word doomsday or doomsday scenarios simply because it sounds ominous, right? I, I could have given the episode the title Transcending the End of Time, Transcending End Times, Transcending the Apocalypse. Ooh, that actually might have worked too. Uh, transcending Armageddon, Transcending the End of the World. You get the picture. But I chose the concept of doomsday or doomsday scenarios for the following reasons. First, it fits well with the way the world talks about the end of time. The other terms are a little more widely used by people of faith. Um, movies about the world ending are often categorized as doomsday scenarios or doomsday movies, so it just seemed to fit. However, if we get super technical, I'm not a fan of the word doomsday, but I'll get to that later. So we've pretty much established that doomsday, end of time, apocalypse, Armageddon, are all very similar in nature. And while I'm no expert in the field, I have spent a sizable chunk of time reading, researching, uh, and basically studying up on various scenarios that people have regarding the end of all things. The technical term for this is eschatology, uh, defined by dictionary.com as any system of doctrines concerning last or final matters as death, the judgment, afterlife, etc., or the branch of theology dealing with such matters. So really, the study of end times, or the study of last days. Now, it's not just me that has a fascination with the end of time, right? A huge percentage of the population has at least thought about it uh, and come up with their version of how the world could end. And politics certainly doesn't shy away from this concept either. In fact, over the last four years, many of the decisions, uh, decisions made in the Trump administration can be tied back to religious beliefs about the end of time. You know, this is something that I didn't even 
really understand until I had done a little research this week. Uh, if you don't believe me, uh, would you believe Alex Morris, uh, contributing editor at Rolling Stone magazine? Uh, she wrote an article um, called Donald Trump, the End Times President. Um, link is in the in the show notes if you want to go check it out. But basically, it, it outlines some of these beliefs uh, and the connections that he and his administration had to the religious community, specifically those who believe in what's called rapture theology. Uh, it's an interesting read, an eye-opening thing when you consider the fact that our entire country at times is being run by people with pretty specific beliefs about the end of time. To some, that's what they've always wanted, right? It's great, and they feel a strong connection to the government for that reason. But what if it isn't your belief about the end of time, right? What if your belief is slightly different than the driving belief in the government of the, t of the day and its decision-making? Well, now that's a whole different story, right? All of a sudden now you are being told what to do by a group of people that believe something different than you, religiously. Um, typically, religiously, when you think about end time scenarios, a lot of times it is tied to a person's uh, religious belief. And this is really why the founding fathers believed in this thing called separation of church and state, right? And while it isn't specifically called out in the Constitution using these exact terms, the writers of the Constitution made it very clear in supplemental articles that this was their intent, which makes perfect sense, right? Given the way our country came to be, a group of people escaping religious persecution in Europe. I mean, why wouldn't they do everything in their power to set up a government where this type of persecution was no longer possible? Number two, Hollywood's on board. So perhaps one of the biggest proponents of the end of time uh, is probably Hollywood, right? Well, for many reasons, but obviously the obvious reason is money. Uh, there is big money in doomsday movies. Um, all it all it took was for the first few to be released and studied and, and researched. And, and based on their success, there was a there has been a steady market um, for these types of movies ever since. Prior to the 1950s, you had movies like The End of the World, Deluge, Things to Come. Uh, in the 1960s, there were movies like Battle of the Worlds, The Day the Earth Caught Fire, Planet of the Apes. And in the 80s, uh, movies like The Day After, Escape from New York, The Seventh Sign, Mad Max, Parts 2 and 3, and The Terminator. And the number of movies produced each decade just keeps getting higher and higher. From 2010 to 2019, uh, Wikipedia lists over 200 movies based on apocalyptic or doomsday scenarios. And who knows if that's even a complete list, right? Uh, Wikipedia has another page where it lists what are called disaster films. Uh, and the link is in the show notes again. Uh, and these are broken out into categories like man-made disasters, natural disasters, end of days, epidemics, and, and pandemics, things like that. Um, obviously, if we weren't fascinated with the way the world could end, Hollywood wouldn't be producing these movies. Hollywood's decisions are almost always tied to how much mo money a movie will make and how accepted it will be with the masses. So think about some of the most loved series of all time, right? You've got things like Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, the Marvels, Avengers. Each of these series has at its core a storyline, right? And the storyline is uh, where an antagonist is out to destroy the world, and the protagonist has to stop it from happening. In Star Wars, the Jedi must triumph over the nefarious plans of the Galactic Empire, led by Sith Lords like Darth Vader. 
Uh, in the Lord of the Rings, Frodo and the Fellowship of the Ring must return the ring to Mordor to destroy it in order to keep Sauron from using it to destroy the earth. In Harry Potter, Harry and his two friends work together to stop Voldemort from rising to power and destroying life as they know it. And finally, in the Avengers, a group of superheroes were kind of forced to work together uh, to learn about each other and work together to defeat Thanos uh, and to keep him from removing half of the population of the universe. Interesting, right? How some of the biggest movies and movie franchises have at their core a storyline that is apocalyptic in nature. Doomsday scenarios that may be science fiction or fantasy based, but still ring very true for us and feed our fascination with our own world and how it could end. Number three, the internal story arc. So what is this fascination with doomsday scenarios? Right? Where did it come from? Why does it seem to have such a hold on us as a people group? Well, what if I told you that it is a cosmic story arc, a universal plot that is as old as the earth itself, a storyline that is so ingrained in the fabric of this world that we find it within ourselves somehow, right? almost as part of our psyche or part of our operating system as humans. Some of us uh, are actually keenly aware of it, and we use it as a filter through which to assess and navigate the world around us. Others have it lying dormant within them, living each day only subconsciously aware of the fact that it's there. So what is this universal story arc? The controversy, of course. It's that epic battle that exists in the universe between God, the creator, and Satan, the created being. In the Bible, narratives surrounding this battle how Satan wants to destroy the world out of revenge, how God sent Jesus back to rescue us from that eventuality, and at its core, this is a doomsday scenario, one that we're all a part of. I mean, all of this is in the Bible, right? We can walk through it step by step. Jesus, though still partly God, is the main protagonist. Lucifer, becoming Satan, is the antagonist. But where the story really supersedes every other literary work of action or epic fantasy is that there are layers leading directly to you, the, the reader. So what do I mean by this? Well, one layer uh, is what I would call the umbrella story, right? The, um, the main plot in the Bible. Uh, this is the one we just talked about, where Jesus is the protagonist and Satan is the antagonist. Then there are a bunch of other layers, right? Or other subplots within the book. However, these subplots are still tied back to the main plot. So, for example, the story of Jonah and the whale, Joseph and the coat of many colors, Gideon and his 300 men. Each story has its own protagonist and antagonist, but they fit nicely into the main plot, the overarching controversy between God and Satan. And finally, there's the layer that includes us, right? The layer that uh, other books just can't really match. Sure, you can pretend with other books, right? You can pretend that you are the protagonist and that you are experiencing the hero's journey, eventually saving the world from utter destruction. But only in the Bible is this actually true, in real life. We can each place ourselves into the story as protagonists. Each of us has a real life that we are walking through, and, a, and it's a story arc that includes good and evil, important decisions, high points, low points, the moment of utmost despair, where all hope seems to be lost. And we have the ability to win the war, to save our little world and live forever. How crazy is that, right? 
The fact that the story is real is what makes it different from anything Hollywood will ever put out. It's what makes it internal, right? It makes it part of our operating system, if you will. It's the original programming that we have that we can uncover as we mature and grow and learn more about the world around us. As we work to transcend human, we become more and more aware of the fact that this story is at the core of everything we do in life. So back to the doomsday scenarios and how people seem drawn to them. So I've talked with a lot of people um, who are fascinated by these stories and love books and movies capturing their essence. But there are also a lot of people who have no desire to read these books or watch these movies at all. Now, at first, I just assumed oh, this is just a preference thing, right? I mean, I have preferences. Preferences. I'm not a huge fan of the stereotypical rom-com, and I have zero desire to watch horror movies. So I assumed it was just the same thing, right? Just preference. But the more I thought about it, and after having conversations with people about it, I realized something. There may be something more to this than just preference. In fact, there's a chance that doomsday scenarios frighten people. Not the way horror movies are meant to frighten, but frighten nonetheless. Perhaps because some of them seem so real, right? Some of them actually seem like a year from now this could happen to us in our world. Natural disaster movies like Deep Impact, Armageddon, 2012, San Andreas, uh, The Day After Tomorrow, uh, each of these offer a plausible, if not even scientific, explanation as to how our world could come crashing down. And that's a whole different type of frightened, right? That's a higher level of fear because it actually seems possible, like it could happen to us in our lifetime. So I think there are a lot of people that just stay away from doomsday scenarios for this reason. They just hit too close to home. Number four, smoke and mirrors. Now, before I get into this section, let me be clear. I love a good story, whether it's a book or a movie or a play. Um, doomsday scenarios are really one of the top genres in that list for me. But as I've matured and come to understand the true nature of the world we live in, uh, I've developed a filter through which these stories must pass. As we begin to transcend human, we realize that there's a fine line between what is sacred and what is profane, what is worldly and what is otherworldly, what is good and evil, if you will. And the Bible suggests that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. Uh, more proof, right, that there must be a fine line somewhere and something that we need to be aware of because there are things that could be harmful to us. And doomsday scenarios are just one of those little things that we need to filter because there's a chance that they could be harmful to us. Now, I'm not suggesting that the random doomsday movie is a sinister thing in any way, that the director or producer sat down in a dark room and with evil intent sought to create something that would harm the viewers. No, my assumption is that these stories simply unfolded through honest, creative processes. Someone got a crazy idea for a book or a movie or a play, and they fleshed it out. And since we all come from different religious, political, racial, and ethnic backgrounds, these storylines are bound to be about as diverse as ever. However, just because our ideas may not be harmful uh, doesn't mean that the antagonist in the main story can't use them for his purposes. Satan uh, absolutely loves the fact that there are so many doomsday scenarios out there. And while he didn't write the manuscript and hand them over to Hollywood himself, uh, there is a chance that he has influenced and guided people in small ways over time in order to keep this flow of ideas going. 
So what does he stand to gain from this proliferation of doomsday scenarios? Well, let's just call it smoke and mirrors, right? By putting out an ocean of content um, on the different ways that the world could end, it makes it super hard for people to remain focused on the real way that it will end, right? It's really a diluting process. It's diluting the main story, the one that's in the Bible, the one that is real. And for many, this ocean of ideas and concepts serves only to confuse, distract, and misinform them about the inevitable climax coming to our world. Number five, seeing the forest for the trees. So what does this all mean, right? Do we just throw the baby out with the bathwater? Do we stop reading books or watching movies altogether? I don't think so. Um, but I think each of us needs to prioritize things in our lives before we engage in this type of content or entertainment. Here's a simple workflow. So step one, understand the real story first. The story presented in the Bible, the one with God, Jesus, Satan, Joseph, Jonah, and you. Uh, the one that includes the ultimate doomsday scenario. Read it, understand it, and make sure you're solid on the fact that it is the real one and that it is the truth. Step number two, now engage in reading books, watching movies, seeing plays, but now you have a filter through which to consume this content, right? You've already decided for yourself what the true doomsday scenario is, so everything else can just remain art. Uh, people's ideas that are fleshed out as books or movies are uh, meant to entertain, they're meant to uh, be enjoyed in your free time, um, but that is the role that they need to have in your life. What I've found is that this actually heightens the experience for me. You would think knowing the doomsday scenario is wrong uh, would make you want to walk out of the theater, right? But not at all. In fact, having a solid foundation, a belief in the real story, actually allows me to experience the movie for what it is, entertainment and art. I find myself fascinated with subplots, characters, relationships, and the grandeur of the storytelling. Uh, the cinematic uh, process, you know, CGI, all, all the different elements that come together to make a good movie, um, all are appreciated for what they are. But they are also all passed through the filter of the real story. So let's land the plane. Moving forward, as you engage the world around you through books, plays, movies, as you consume doomsday scenarios in any form, ask yourself the following questions. Number one, where are you at in terms of the end of time? Do you have a solid set of beliefs about it? Have you done your own research? Have you read the real story, the one in the Bible? Number two, how do doomsday scenarios impact you? Are you able to filter them through an understanding of the real story? Or do they seem to toss you about in a sea of ideas, adding confusion about your future? My hope for each of us is that we are able to take a step back and really make sure that we have the real story in, in the front seat, that we understand it, and that we see how important it is to our daily lives, and that it can serve as a filter for everything else that we do, see, or hear, or watch about the end of time. So that's it. I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, until next time, everyone, have a great week. And as always, keep transcending human.
We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. For more information, you can go to transcendhuman.com, where you'll find additional content as well as ways to contact us and links to our social media channels. Thanks again for subscribing to the show, and we'll see you again real soon.